0: Amen. Well, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to, to speak this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and uh, maybe He'll calm me a little bit and get you guys ready. So, Father, we just thank you for the opportunity just to to be in Your house and to proclaim praises to You through through worship, and thank You for that. And we just praise You, we worship You, and Lord, I ask that You, in spite of me, that You're able to to speak this morning. And I know that's the truth because You tell us in Your Word that. It doesn't go out void, and so many people are here this morning from all different backgrounds, walks of life, different things going on, and I just pray that you speak in spite of me, and we'll give you the glory, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. So, well, Cody said a lot of nice things, and I, I appreciate that about me, And uh, but it's always not always good about me, so I appreciate what you said, and I wanted you to know a couple of things about me maybe that you, that you don't know that... Maybe it'll surprise you a little bit, I'm not sure, but um, some of you may already know this, but I can be a bit of an, an angry punk at times. Anybody, anybody agree with me? I don't, I don't know. I got a, few, got a few hands in the back, okay? Um, my wife, children, y'all are excluded from all this, but I can be a bit of an angry punk at times, And seriously. And uh, to, to give you some examples, I mean, I may have been kicked out of several basketball games when I was growing up and, and playing ball, okay? even into the church league. Anybody been, ever been kicked out of a church basketball league game? Okay, but a church league game. I remember one time I got, I said a few choice things to the referee. I mean, he was horrible. Tony, he was horrible, so he had to be talked to. And so I told him a couple of choice words, and I was tossed out of the game, and I remember clearly I went up the stands and sat down, and Jennifer was up there, and she'd come watch me, and I sat down beside her, oh, mad, and she just got up and walked down the steps and left. Okay, <laughs> Left me sitting there by myself one time, and this is this is not all back from when I was a teenager, but I was dating Jennifer, and we were going to a, a local church, and her dad was on staff, and the, and the pastor's son was kind of sweet on Jennifer, but I was dating Jennifer. They don't mess with Jennifer, right? Okay, and so one Sunday after church, we're parked at the, at the red light, and the church door's right here, and all of a sudden, I feel this bump on the back of my car. My 1986 Cutlass Brom two-tone. Anybody had one of those? okay. 2 tone, got the baluer seats in there, got the CD playing in there like I like it. And all of a sudden, I feel this little bump on the back of it. He's, the car's moving. I'm like, what is that? And I turn around. Preacher's son, back there bumping the back of my Cutlass. Things didn't go well. I got out of the car, nose-to-nose with him, about grabbed him out of there. The, the church door is right here, ladies and gentlemen, okay? So a bit of a bit of an, an angry punk at the time. There's even in our previous home in the hallway between... Our bedroom and our bathroom there's an indention of my fist in the wall and I didn't fix it on purpose because I wanted it to to remind me um, and you know this got to the point where it was it was so bad I even I even sought counseling for it and, and some of us have already probably all been there and we've and we've sought this before but you know what we, we determined with the counselor that my trigger on every bit of this was a lack of control amen it was a lack of control, that, that I was not in charge. Okay, I felt disrespected in some way, whether it was true or only, which most of the time it wasn't, or whether it was just in my mind or in my head. Uh, I wanted to be in charge, even if no one else thought I should be in charge. Anybody? Okay, I wanted to be in charge. I wanted to be the ruler. Um, I wanted to be basically king. The captain of my own ship, I wanted to be the king of my kingdom. I didn't want anybody else to tell me otherwise. I wanted to be in control. And so today, as we're looking at Psalm 2, I think that we will see this very scenario that I struggle with, and honestly, probably most everybody here sitting in the congregation today struggles with at some point, that we want to be in control and that we want to be king. And it's played out in these scriptures. And as, as Cody mentioned, John last week spoke to us from Psalm 1, which really focused on the individual, Okay, and, and the choice that we have to make between righteousness and the wicked. And now Psalm 2 is going to move to the, to the corporate and to the nations. And Psalm 1 was focusing on the worshiper, and now we're going to focus on the one to be worshipped. And so Psalm 2 will warn us of the consequences of the choice that John talked about last week in Psalm 1. So if you'll stand with me, if you're able to stand, and uh, we'll read Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. blessed are all who take refuge in him may be seated and so many times i don't know if you're like me when i'm reading the old testament i struggle a little bit i was telling cody as i as i looked at this it didn't immediately jump off the page to me what was being said here but as i as i studied and i looked into the bible further and went to the new testament a lot of times media preachers have said this we need to read the bible backwards okay you can go to the new testament and read things that will help us understand and that's or look at how the early church and the apostles actually understood what was being written here. In fact, Psalm 2 is quoted in the New Testament more than any other psalm, 17 times. And you can see it in the Gospels, in Romans, in and Acts, and in Revelation. And the apostles literally preached the gospel from this psalm, from Psalm 2. And so one such example, if you go to the book of Acts, and you don't have to turn there, it's not going to be on the screen, I'm going to do some reading today that You'll just have to follow along with me, but one such example is in Acts chapter 4. And if you remember, Peter and John had healed a lame beggar outside of the gate, and they were proclaiming who God was. And they were proclaiming the resurrection in the temples, and eventually they were in prison for it. They are brought before the council, and upon their release, what do they do? They go and they report to all their friends everything that has taken place and what's happened. And, And this is what they said in verse 24. The people who are hearing this, you and I, this is their response in verse 24. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to do. I wrote in my notes, wow, with an exclamation point. These people knew their Bible. What's happening here? What's happening here? They're having this report, and they're remembering back to what was said in the psalm by doesn't explicitly tell us in the psalm that david wrote this but they're here saying david is the writer of this psalm and they're looking back and they're going he told us this hundreds of years ago we can do that today with our word that's why i love our 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 belief amen that's why i love this you can go against any other religion you can stack it up and you can say look people said it thousands of years ago hundreds of years ago and here it is coming true in the new testament and so they they looked at it and they said hey the psalmist Possibly David, hundreds of years ago, is speaking to us now through the power of the Holy Spirit. He has an answer for us and even an example here in our own day. Herod, think about this Herod and Pontius Pilate were not friends, they were not buddies, okay? Not friends, and they formed this unholy alliance that's in opposition to Jesus. This rage against, the ra- nations are raging. The Romans and the Jews were not friends, but yet they were united against Jesus. So why all of this hostility, this rejection, this animosity towards God? The nations raging. Why? Does it apply to us? Does it apply to America? Does it apply to other nations in the world? Does it apply to us individually? Yes, yes. You go on in verse 3 and you look and the, the psalmist says, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The imagery here is of oxen with a yoke. Has anybody ever had a chance to watch a, an oxen, a team of oxen work? And they have this big wooden bar across them and they've got this yoke on their neck. And the imagery here is of is oxen with a yoke fastened around their necks and the cords that are used for plowing moving them every direction and they're fighting against it and it's just this heavy burden and they what people are saying here what they're saying is we don't want this god and his commandments to be in control over us. That's what they're saying. Let's burst their bonds. Let's cast off the cords and this reminds me of myself and my example. All of the anger and the frustration. Why? Because I'm not the king of my castle and I'm not in control. That's what they're saying. This they're losing control, they're feeling disrespected, they're not in charge, they want to be king and they're not. And it's easy for us to point our finger, right? I love, I love doing this when I'm reading the word. God, look at those guys. I mean, good gosh, they had Jesus with them. Or come on, you gotta be you gotta do better than that. Look at that example that you had right there before you, okay? And so we want to point our finger at Herod and Pilate and the people of that day. But do we do the same things? Alan, I'm not, I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching with you. Okay, do we do the same things that we. We take issue with a king who reigns over us and in, in here in our country, United States and any other country in the world, we're united against God and you say, no Alan, we're not united against God, we love God, God is, God is king and he is. How, how so, you say Alan? We put all of our trust in national leaders. We do, as if they are the ones who are going to bring about justice for us, they're going to fix everything. All of our trust is is placed there. If if we can only get a Republican back in office, amen? Okay, If we could just get a Republican back in office, if we could just get a Democratic president, because you do know there are people who have opposing views. If we could only have a Democrat in office, if we could just maintain a conservative Supreme Court... If we could just get those Supreme Court justices in there then we could control everything and our Christian values will stay in place and everything will be good and we'll win and we'll have this mess fixed. Except that the Supreme Court's been conservative for 50 plus years and they gave you Roe v. Wade they gave you homosexual marriage they get I'm not trying to go off on that I'm saying we are raging against God. Maybe it's not political maybe it's we're spending all of our time chasing after things that we think are so important that really just don't matter. Guilty. All the things that I think matter so much that I'm working so hard for, that I'm chasing, if I can just get to this, the next big thing in my life is this. I could go around the room right now and every, every single person in here could tell me the next big thing that you're thinking about, right? What's going to happen if we can just, if this will just happen, if we can just get that land, If we can just get a bigger house, if I can just get to this point with my 401K, if I can make it to retirement so I can just relax, right? Man, if my kids are good at sports. My kids are the greatest thing in the world. Look at them. They make A's. They excel in this. They're going to go to this college. My wife is so great. My spouse is the best thing in the world. No, they're not. They are not. They should not be elevated here. All those things that we mentioned in this list should not be elevated here above God. They should not be in that that position. And Paul reminds us throughout the entire New Testament in his letters. His audience, he always reminds them of the condition that they were once in. When they were on the side of the people we're describing here wanting to break those bonds. Break those cords away. Here's what he tells them in Colossians 1.21, he's speaking to us, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. He didn't say that you were indifferent, he said that you were hostile against God. And the psalmist is declaring that all who do not submit to the authority of Christ, we make war on God. And this addresses every single one of us, it addresses every nation in the world, every religion in the world, it addresses the Catholic, the Buddhist, the Muslim, the Jew, the Mormon, And the cultural Christian in northeast Alabama. And me. And you and everyone sitting here. And here's what we're doing. Here's what we're saying. We're shaking our fist at God. And we're saying, I am in control. I do not need you. I am king. When we rage against the Lord, that's what we're doing. We're shaking our fist at God. And he's not in control. But, oh. He is in control. Look, the more they look at the back of the verses, the more that they raised against it, and the more the sovereignty of God was on display. If you, if you go back with me again to the passage in Acts four, when Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles and all the people are coming against Jesus, what does verse 28 say? I know you don't have it. It says, "To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place." It's a futile attempt, ladies and gentlemen, to come against our God. It is futile. It's absolutely the stupidity of man saying to the creator of the universe, we don't want you to rule over us and I don't need you. But how does God respond to this rebellion against the Lord's anointed? We have established that the nations are raging. We are raging. We don't like to admit it. We don't want to say it, but we are raging. And how does God respond to this rebellion against the Lord's anointed? Look at at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Remember when I, I, I told you in the beginning that I had a bit of a, of a temper and an anger issue? Well, here's an example. When Mallory was two years old, we were at the beach. i told this story to my Sunday school class before, so you guys can just check out or, or laugh at it like it's funny. But when Mallory was about two years old, we were at the beach, and I had a bit of righteous anger, a, a, a moment of righteous indignation, if you will. There was this family that was staying. You've been to the beach, and you end up hanging out down the beach, and there's families there, and you kind of get to know each other a little bit, and you chat, or whatever. That's the case here and one day, this particular family was gone to eat lunch or whatever, they left their two teenage daughters there. They were playing volleyball, having a good time, and Mallory, uh, the little, little bitty two-year-old, and I take her up to, to give her a nap. I'm sure you don't remember this, my mouth, right, You're two. So I take her up, give her a nap, everybody's down at the beach, she gets finished, we come back down, and I notice these two young men are there, messing with these two teenage girls that had been hang, kind of hanging out with us all week. And they didn't like it, they didn't want them there. They were harassing them. You could tell they had come down the public beach access. Y'all know what I mean? If you go to the condo, you got your beach. Everybody stay off my beach, this is my beach. They'd come down the public beach access, had a cooler with them. They were just not behaving well. And they were harassing these young ladies. And so I say to them and I engage them and I look at them and I say, hey guys, it's time for you to go on. Okay, you don't need to move on. Now imagine how intimidating I was, okay? Okay, I'm holding Mallory, it's the cutest little two-year-old Asian baby you have ever seen in your life. Okay, beautiful, beautiful now, Mal. Little bitty Asian baby, I got her right here in my arms. She's just waking up from a nap. Okay, I got my big. I mean, who's got a big floppy hat? Everybody. Okay, <laughs> this hat is so big. I got this big floppy hat on, and let me just round it up. Clip-on shades, huh? <laughs> who's got some? Nobody's raising their hand, okay? I was so cool, had my, gla- had my regular glasses on, had my clip-ons, you know, when they were flipped up, so I could see them real good. Forgot to mention I was shirtless. How about that, okay? <laughs> so you've got to understand how absolutely intimidating I must have been to these young men. And so I remember, like it was yesterday, after a minute or so, we go back and forth, and one of the kids looks at me and says to me, Who died and made you the beach police? All right, who in here is angry right now? <laughs> Who died and made you the beach police? And by this time Jennifer's made her way over and she, this is not good and she's taking Mallory from it Before I know it, me and this young man are nose to nose. Okay? Me and this young man are just, I mean, we're touching, we're touching noses, and here I am with my 35-year-old grown self, nose to nose with this young man. I, I'm internally thinking all these things in my mind. And I told him in so many words that if he didn't leave, in about three seconds, the next thing that's gonna hit the sand was the back of his head. I remember it like it was yesterday. Here's what he did. He looked me in the eyeballs and he said, One, two, three. He counted me down. Can you believe that? He counted me down. He was so confident, okay, in the outcome of this encounter with me that he actually counted me down, okay? You're thinking, what does that have to do with anything we're talking about, Alan, okay? It has to do with confidence. He counted me down because he was so confident about what was about to happen. and That's a funny story, but listen, God is completely confident in the outcome of his plan. He's so completely confident in it that he laughs. Are you reading this? He laughs. Our God is not in heaven wringing his hands. This is not our God. What am I going to do about America? What am I going to do about so-and-so country? How am I going to handle the situation in their lives? It was a tough one. I don't know what to do. He is not pacing the floor of heaven wondering what am I going to do, how am I going to handle the situation. He laughs. He holds them in derision. I had to look that word up. He holds them in derision. Contemptuous ridicule or mockery. That's what that word means. I thought I'd use an example from people in the congregation. I don't know if I can see everybody here, but this is like Linda Cockrell. I think Linda's in here. Okay. This is like Linda Cockrell, a petite little grandmother who lived in Weedowie, Alabama, challenging, some of you may not know this guy, Juan Coronado. You better know Juan. Juan's a, a new member of our congregation, a six foot seven international professional basketball player. Did you know that, by the way? International professional basketball player. Linda's challenging him to a game of one on one. What is Juan going to do? He laughs. <laughs> Juan's going to win. You're right. That's what we're talking about here. He laughs. But, but God's laugh is meant. For us as well, to to comfort us and to give us us great confidence and to calm our fears. Think about it. His laugh reminds us that his purposes cannot be thwarted. God's purposes cannot be thwarted. Job and his response to God in Job 42.2, here's what he says. I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Our God has no rival. He has no equal. You can sing the song with me. Our God has no rival. He has no equal. His, his kingdom reigns forever. It reminds me of the words of Isaiah the prophet as he describes our God in Isaiah. It's, it's forty, chapter 40, verses 12 through 30. And you're thinking right now, Alan, are you honestly about to read 18 verses in the middle of a sermon on Psalm 2? Who right now is hoping I don't read 18 verses? <laughs> Listen, we should worship even more when the word of God is just simply read. Love you, Andrew. Worship like crazy with you, okay? I do, but sometimes I just want to hear Cody stand here and read the Word of God. So bathe in this and listen to this and, and worship our great God as you think about the nations raising and everyone coming against our God and who our God actually is. This, is. this is Isaiah in chapter 40. He who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before Him. They are accounted by Him as less than nothing in emptiness. To Him, excuse me. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare Him with? Verse twenty-one. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood that from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in. Who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness? Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown. Scarcely are their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me? that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by God? Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no mighty increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall be exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Amen? This is our God. That's the God that I want on my side. Amen? But for those who oppose God, they too hear his laugh. As as verse 5 states, he speaks to them in his wrath and he terrifies them in his fury. It is not a comforting laugh. For the believer, for the Christian, it's a a comforting laugh. But for those who are opposed to God, it's, it's not comforting. And they will be terrified by his wrath and they will see his fury. No one stands a chance against the sovereign king of everything. No one. Standing against God's anointed king is laughable, and ridiculous. And God ends his response in verse 6 by saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Here's what God's saying. When I played basketball in high school, if someone and we were just giving it to somebody, just killing them, and somebody from the opposing team was running that mouth, you know what we'd say to them? Bring it, don't sing it. Anybody get that? They're running that mouth, they're singing about what they're going to do, and we say to them, bring it, don't sing it. In other words, the game's over. This is what God is saying here. Look, the, the I here is emphatic. This is expressed with force. We can't read this and go, this is, this is God speaking. As for me, I, I've, set my, I've set my king on, on Zion, he's on, he's on the holy hill. The I here is emphatic. I, as for me, I have established my king on Zion, my holy hill. You may conspire, you may rage, but I have decided who rules this world. You know, uh, maybe somebody should tell all of the political pundits and the TV talk show hosts and the radio talk show hosts that God has already established his king. What do you think? Because they all have an opinion and they all have a way that they're going to fix the things on the earth. They're going to fix the things in America. We're going to get this straight. This is how we're going to handle it. And by golly, they're on there for 24 hours a day. News stations for 24 hours a day. Who used to watch the news and the, the news part of it was like six minutes? Anybody remember that? 24 hours a day now we have these on here. And we all have our favorite. Because th- we're sitting back right now and we're going, I know, those, those crazy political pundits and They've got their ideas and they know how to fix everything. Every single person in here has probably got their favorite. What's the number one news thing that you like? Come on. Somebody say it out loud. Fox News, right? Okay, because we're, we're in the south with Republicans. There's Democrats out here too in our, in our, right here in our very woods. But it could be Fox News. It could be CNN. It could be CNBC. It could be any of the radio talk show hosts that you want to talk, talk about and We tune in and we see how we can fix this mess in our world. And all along, God is laughing because he set his king on Zion on his holy hill. Maybe somebody should go on one of these shows and say that God is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and he does with them as he chooses. Daniel 4 17. Go bathe in Daniel. And then the Lord king, and then the king speaks in verse 7 through 9. We get the response of the son. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the end of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. What is the decree that's mentioned here in verse 7? Well, it's the coming of the King Jesus that's just been referenced in verse 6. And again, you can go to the New Testament again and read the Bible backwards to understand what's being declared in this this psalm in, in this very verse. What's being declared here? I will tell of the decree... Hebrews 1, 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have forgotten you? Here's the answer, none of them. Or look at Acts 13, where Paul is in the synagogue, and the rulers of the synagogue ask for a word of encouragement for the people, and Paul, he stands and he gives this unbelievable, go back and read it this afternoon in in Acts 13, this wonderful historical sermon that he gives, where he takes them all the way from the beginning of the New Testament, all the way up through the Bible, all the way into the, the Lord's the the death of God's Son, and then he starts in verse 29, and here's what he says. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people, and we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. And also it is written in the second psalm, You are my son, today I have begotten you. There it is again. There it is again, the New Testament preaching to us about what's been declared long ago by the psalmist David. In two, Jesus is not dead, the anointed king has come, is what he is saying here. And then the kingdom grows by the proclaiming of the gospel. Look back in those verses that we just read in 31 and 32 where Paul talks about the witnesses and those who bring the good news. The verse, we all know it. how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And in verse 8 of the psalm, we see this fleshed out. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. This is an answer to verse 1. The nations that are raging against the Lord's anointed will be a gift to the Son. He will make the ends of the earth his possession. Every knee shall bow and every tongue confess what? That Jesus is Lord. Every, every knee and every tongue, not just the believers sitting in here, not just the believers you know, but every tongue and every knee, people who don't know God, they will bow. So the question for us really is who or what are we putting our trust in? Who, who do the nations live for? But I wonder sometimes, do, we, do I, do we really believe that God is doing and will do what he has promised in these verses? He has promised in these verses that he will give him the heritage, he will give him the nations, they will be his. Do we really believe it? Does he, and can he, and will he save people from different backgrounds from us? Will he save, and can he, and will he, people who don't look like us? Will he save gender-confused people? Well, that's a big topic, Right? Those people are just idiots. They're just crazy. Will God save them? Can he? Will he? People from the ends of the earth, he talks about the ends of the earth here. The Chinese Buddhist, The Muslim from the Middle East? Well, sure, we say, yes, he will. He can, he does. He will. This is for me, but do my actions show it? Do our actions show it? Is the Great Commission from Matthew 28, 18 and 19... Are these verses ones that we have memorized? That Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Do we believe it? Can he do it? Does he do it? Will he do it? I remember a cab ride that I had one time with some buddies of mine in Nashville. We had a basketball tournament over there, and we all hop into a cab, and the driver of our cab is a Middle Eastern man. I was in the front seat, and my buddies are in the, in the back seat, and they are giving me a hard time about something. I can't specifically remember what it was, but they were, just, they were just all over me about something. And I happened to notice a Bible in the, in the door pocket beside me, and I, I grabbed the Bible, and I reached back over the seat, and I shook it at my buddies back there and said, you guys need to read the Word of God some more and understand how Jesus treated people, the way you're treating me right now. And As I pulled the Bible back over the seat, from wagging it at my friends, I noticed... It wasn't a Bible at all. It was the Quran, the central religious text of Islam, believed by Muslims to be a revelation from God. I mean, it was it was blue just like mine. I mean, it, it was blue. I had a blue Bible at that time. It had, the, but I got a red string in theirs. Okay, had the red string to mark and everything. It was. It looked just like mine. But the truth of the gospel was inside my blue book and not in his. Here I was with a captive audience for the next 30 minutes in the cab. He can't go anywhere because he's got to take us where we're going. And sadly, sadly I must admit I didn't bring the conversation around that day to the one true God. Do I really care? Do I really believe That what God is declaring in this psalm, that he will do, he can do, and he does. And what do my actions show about it? And why does it matter? Why is it so important? Because of verse 9, our God also judges. Nine, you shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. This isn't just talking about unbelievers. It's easy for us to look at them and say, you will suffer the wrath of God, and it's the truth. It's here. He's saying that. But this isn't just talking about the unbelievers. They will certainly suffer the wrath of God. But but believer, Christian, God hates our sin. He hates our sin and he will punish us for it. And we will suffer the consequences of it. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. I love what Pastor Matt Chandler says on this. I, I read a quote of his. He says, Could it be that God is so intensely personal that he would burn down our world in hopes of building it back? You don't hear that from any pulpits, do you? That God might tear down everything that you think is important so he can build it back so you can understand who he is. And then we come to the last section where we see a final warning and a refuge, verses 10 through 12. There... Now therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. In verse 10, there's a warning to these rulers who rage to count the cost, to be wise. In Luke 14, Jesus is talking about the great cost of discipleship. Here's what he says. What what king going out to encounter another in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 men to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for a term of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What's he doing? He's warning them. He's saying, be warned, rulers who rage. Count the cost. Be wise. God is, God is serious here. Have you ever read the book of Revelation? Hang out in the book of Revelation. Have we ever read it at all? Revelation six fifteen. Then the kings of the earth, again, we're in Revelation, and we're, we're referencing back to Psalm 2, something that happened hundreds if not thousands of years before. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones of, and the generals and the rich and the powerful, does this sound familiar? And everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Did you catch that? They would rather have the mountains and the rocks fall on them than to deal with the wrath of God for eternity. And sadly, sadly, many churches are silent on this. Not here, praise God, but we're silent on this part. Too often the message is this. God is a loving God, and he would never send anyone to hell. You heard that one? He is a loving God, but we've got to teach the truth. He would never send anyone to hell. Just have enough faith and God will bless you, right? If you just have enough faith, if you don't have enough faith, that's why you've got problems. That's why everything's not going your way. God will not give you more than you can handle. (laughs) Who in here will testify that's not true? (laughs) God will not give you more than you can handle. There are false teachers telling us what our itching ears want to hear. And it's not the truth of the gospel. I read a, a quote from a pastor, Paul Washer, that kind of summed this up. He says, know this, they, the false prophets, are the judgment of God upon a wicked, defiled people who, although they have a knowledge of God, they do not want Him. And so God sends them the teachers that they desire, that their itching ears want to hear. In verse 11, serve the Lord of fear and rejoice with Him trembling. And we are all serving something or someone, and the answer is often Ourselves, but God is serious about how we serve Him. All kinds of warnings in the scripture, our God is a consuming fire. Let anyone who stands take heed lest he fall. Paul tells us to test ourselves to see whether we're in the faith. And we have great confidence in our God, but it cannot just be careless. And, and just remember this: that that God tells us He is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us blameless before the presence of, of, in the, of God in His glory. He does this by reminding us in this verse that we've got to rest in Him and not in ourselves. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. And now, and how is it that we can serve with fear and yet rejoice with trembling? That seems kind of an, an odd statement. This is not referring to a re- emotional response here to Andrew and the praise team. But an awareness that we are coming before the holy, almighty, sovereign king of everything. John Piper states it this way. If there is an awe or a wonder or a trembling in the presence of grandeur, that we want to feel as long as we are sure that it will not destroy us this is so good as long as we are sure that it will not destroy us and he gives this analogy regarding people going to scary and terrifying movies why why do we do that we love to go we love to see these scary terrifying movies it's because we know that the monster is not coming in the theater he cannot get in the theater we want to be scared as long as we're safe And for some reason that feels good. And there's something that's profoundly satisfying about being frightened when we can't be hurt. That's an interesting analogy of this this verse. And it's best when the trembling comes from the grandeur of the Holy King, right? That we can serve him with fear, but we can also rejoice with trembling. And finally, verse 12, Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Bless are all who take refuge in him. The people of Israel would would pay homage to each successive king by, by giving a kiss. And the kiss here is one of submission and surrender and adoration. And God is a jealous God. He's angry when we worship things that are meant for him and people who are meant for him. We're giving that to someone else or something else. And he plainly states that if we choose another, his wrath will be against us, and possibly the best part. This entire psalm is the last sentence. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There is a way of escape. The Lord is our hiding place. The Lord is our hiding place. He is a strong tower. He covers us in the shadow of his wings. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. Christians, every one of us, we must know this. verse. We must know John 14, 6. It's the bedrock of everything that we believe. We believe. Our families who rage, the nations who rage of the way of escape, of the one true God. So the question is, how long will we rage? How long will you rage? How long will you shake your fist at an almighty, sovereign king? Avoid his wrath. Come to Jesus. Take refuge in him. He's our only hope. Let's pray.